Welcome, welcome to another Fusion Fantasy Football podcast. This is your host, Joshua, and we are continuing with our team projection snapshots. You can find them on FusionFFB.com. That's right. There's a website. So if you go there, you can check it out, pull it up. It's a snapshot that has pretty much all the stats for that team, at least on offense. And uh, we're rolling through it, and we're going to try and finish up. I already did the Colts. Hopefully you listened to that. I took a little extra time to go over um, just how the sheet works, how all the pieces fit together, how I come, how I come about all these numbers. Uh, so if you're curious, you should check that out. And this time we're going to fly right through. So we're going to start out with the Houston Texans. Now, it's an interesting one right off the bat. Deshaun Watson, how do you come up with a projection for Deshaun Watson? Just a meteoric, what, 11 games? How do you, how do you, I come up with a projection for that? Well, I'm going to give him a little bit of a benefit of doubt that he really is a good quarterback. Um, it's hard to say that someone can do what he did if they're not good. At the same time, I'm not going to go complete the other, completely the other way and say he's RG3 and is going to be terrible from here on out. However, I do think it's safe to say he's not going to be as good as he was per game during that stretch last year. So what does that actually mean? Well, if you, if you prorate out his games from last year, which I think I said 11 earlier. No, it's, it's seven games he had last year. And um, I mean, it comes up to something ridiculous, like 49 touchdowns at the rate he was going. We, we, we all know that's not happening. All right. So what I did was I took um, a little bit of his averages. I also took some of RG3's averages. I mentioned him before from his games he did play and also just uh some averages from second year quarterbacks and again this is just to get us a baseline a reasonable expectation and we've seen what he's capable of so i wasn't short changing him either we end up with 500 passing attempts 3500 yards and 31 touchdowns 11 interceptions i could actually see that number being higher which could definitely hurt him. But so far, I'm giving him pretty much the benefit of the doubt. I mean, those are pretty decent numbers. Actually, they're really good numbers. They come out to quarterback five within my current set of projection numbers. And when you need time, you can get up to 294 points. Anytime you can get up to close to 300, you know you're going to be in that top five range. It's not the number one quarterback he was per game last year. But I don't think I'm. Uh, I don't think this is offensive or insulting to him at all. Uh, Second-year player, they are going to figure him out to some extent. There's going to be film on him now, uh, and he has to regain his form with a healing ACL. And it was a fairly late in the season that he. I think it was what week eleven-ish, uh, and he's not quite as pushed as Carson Wentz is to get out there for game one week one but he will be pushed uh all news that we have says that he's on track so that's good so that's deshaun watson okay so that's what i'm working with working with 500 attempts 3500 yards 31 touchdowns so we've got to spread that out 
So that's how we go about this. Now, DeAndre Hopkins, we know he gets his, and I still have him up at uh, above a 30% target share, 160 targets, 88 catches, 1,200 yards, 12 touchdowns. The guy is just good, and it's going to help that he has a good quarterback and an improving offense around him. Um, Maybe that means he doesn't get the just insane target volumes he was getting at some points. I mean, he was 40%, approaching 50% target share at some points with Savage as the quarterback in some games. Those are ridiculous. You don't actually want that. Um, it's great, I guess, for PPR because you're getting the catches, but it creates a, it's an ineffective, inefficient offense, and it caps the upside when it comes to the touchdowns and overall yardage when uh, you're feeding just one guy like that. Uh, you want the offense as a whole to be able to move, to get first downs, to keep playing. If you can't get first downs, you can't get more yards. No one on an offense that's going three and out every time, even if they're throwing to the same guy every single down, is going to get a lot a lot of points. So after DeAndre Hopkins, um, the names that stick out to me are, of course, Will Fuller. If he can repeat um, just the same level of target share. Will Fuller was at a 10% target share last year, but he missed many games. So I think a 15% share is very fair for him. And that gets him up into the 150 range in PPR points. A few of these other names don't really stick out. Uh, there's a, some question marks here. We've gotten the new tight end, Jordan Akins. We've got the new wide receiver, Kiki Kuti, who could be a uh, kind of down-the-middle slot threat. We also have Steven Anderson, tight end, still around, and Bruce Ellington filled in uh, quite well at points last year. So they have some capable pieces, and I could see the offense as a whole being effective. Now, when it comes to running back, uh, I am firmly in the boat that Deontay Foreman is not going to be healthy for the beginning of the season, most likely a pup list. And that's simply because most Achilles tears uh, take a full year to heal. And his injury happened, it, it was the end of October. Uh, I'm not sure which week that comes out to, but probably around week eight. And he is going to probably start the season on the PUP list, the PUP list, physically unable to perform. That's the current uh, understanding, which means he can't return until I believe it is after week eight. And even then, usually they have a week or two to get back into practices. You often don't see PUP, PUP players until week nine or ten. That means Lamar Miller has this backfield to himself for 10 weeks. And yes, I know Alfred Blue had more carries during the last few games of last year than Miller did. But everyone knew the season was over. I don't blame them, and I don't think it's representative of what they intend for this year. Lamar Miller was very good with Deshaun Watson. Now, is that the... Is that the whole running quarterback opens up lanes for the running back? I don't know. All I know is that when you have a good pass-catching running back with a mobile quarterback like Deshaun Watson, they produce well. So I have him for a number of targets and receptions, and he's also getting the bulk of the carries 
and it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone. Lamar Miller is set to be the number one running back in Houston for the first half of the season, and that's you can lock that in. The question is, when Deontay Foreman returns, will he be able to take that away? And I think if he if he takes anything away, he takes Alfred Blue's uh, big back work away. I don't think he takes Lamar Miller's. He may eat into some of the carries, but he's not going to take the passing down work. And as long as Deshaun Watson is still working, uh, still moving that offense, still keeping it dynamic, they're going to want Lamar Miller in there instead of Deontay Foreman, even when Foreman's healthy. Lamar Miller will be able to capitalize on what Watson brings to the offense better than anyone else. Now, on the outside looking in here, as a deep sleeper, especially if Miller gets injured, which he's had some injuries in the past, is Tyler Irvin. Very much forgotten, very athletic, uh, pass-catching back. If you're in a really deep league, uh, he's someone I would keep an eye on, especially if you see any injury, or if it seems like for some reason the Houstons really just don't like Lamar Miller. Maybe they'll turn to him in some of those passing situations. Kiki Kuti, like I mentioned, is the other wide receiver that I see as a higher upside on this team. None of the other names really stick out to me. Will Fuller's a given. I'm not going to count him in the surprise kind of value category. Um, he's going probably where he should in drafts. So Lamar Miller is going quite late in drafts compared to what he could produce here. And in the fifth, sixth round, he's a really val really good value, and I've been getting him a lot there. That pretty much wraps up the Texans. All right, next on our AFC South list is the Tennessee Titans. And this year, they have a new head coach and a new offensive coordinator. Now, this offensive coordinator named Matt LaFleur was the quarterback coach for the LA Rams. And he's been involved in some pretty successful offenses. Uh, last year, of course, he was a part of the LA Rams. Their offensive, uh, I don't know what that was, resurrection. Uh, and then two years before that, he was with Shanahan in uh, Atlanta with the Falcons. He seems to bring out the best in his quarterbacks. And uh, to what extent he was involved in the rest of the offense is yet to be seen. Probably influenced somewhat by Shanahan and Sean McVay, uh, that can't be a bad thing. <laughs> Those are two of the uh, preeminent young offensive minds, uh, coaching minds in football right now. So, you know, there's a little bit of hope right now that he can bring out the best in Marcus Mariota, who had a bit of a down year last year. But he had a very strong 2016. Um, some of that was fueled by very high touchdown rate and a very, very favorable schedule in the second half. But uh, the, the talent's absolutely there for Marcus Mariota. So when we averaged that out and looked at a few other details, I came up with 507 attempts for 3,600 yards and 27 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. That's 290 points. That puts him up well into the top 10, which I don't think a lot of people have Marcus Mariota at. Uh, he also in there has 60 attempts, rush attempts for 300 yards and a, and a few touchdowns because I think that's how they get Mariota back to being Mariota. 
They also have a good mixture on, on offense as far as veterans, new pieces, and also young players they're hoping will emerge. So first we have the good old mainstay Delaney Walker, who is always up there with the most targets for tight ends, and I don't think we can forget him. And he's often being forgotten in drafts. He's falling into uh, tight end 6-7 range as far as where he's drafted positionally ranked. Uh, where that ends up in your draft, it's hard to say sometimes. But uh, I, you will frequently see other tight ends like Evan Ingram and, of course, Olsen and Ertz and even Rudolph drafted ahead of him. And uh, I believe I have him my tight end three. He just gets so much volume, and if this offense improves, he will improve as well. It's just going to be a question of health. Uh, at which point, the young tight end, Janu Smith, and he is very young. He came in very young. He's still very young. Uh, but he had a decent amount of playing time last year. And if he gets coached up and refines his game, uh, he will be a very... He is basically a younger version of Delaney Walker. When they drafted him, they basically wanted a new Delaney Walker. I'm sure they hope he can step into that role in years to come. But for now, Delaney's not going anywhere. And next we have Corey Davis, and he is the young second-year wide receiver who was a bit of a disappointment last year and started to show up towards the end of the season and definitely showed up in the playoffs. To what extent that's going to... What that's going to mean in a real season is hard to say because was he just saying it because they were in the playoffs and they were losing those games, like the game against the Patriots where he had two touchdowns. Uh, Richard Matthews was a little injured down the stretch. I still see Richard Matthews as the wide receiver one on this team. That is probably not a popular take, but I still do see it. And Corey Davis can be right there behind him and will be maybe in position to overtake him at the end by the end of the season. But these are two very closely matched uh Wide receivers as far as production and targets. I both have them at 110 targets. I have Matthews with better efficiency. And they're both at that 21% target share. Corey Davis goes well ahead of Richard Matthews in drafts. Well, well ahead. We're talking five, six rounds. Richard Matthews is a fantastic late value. I'm picking him up wherever I can. Uh... Taewon Taylor is another second-year wide receiver who had some injury issues that slowed him down his first year. Uh, he's also going to be in a great position to break out this year in the slot. There's a few other pieces there, but for the most part, the talent's pretty consolidated on these, these guys. Now we have Deion Lewis joined the running backs, and uh, it's a big question of what happens between Deion Lewis and Derrick Henry. I still have Derrick Henry with the majority of the rush attempts, but I think Deion Lewis gets his fair share. I have Deion Lewis at 40% and Derrick Henry at 45 The rest is, of course, Marcus Marietta. Now, here's the interesting thing. Because Deion Lewis is involved in the passing game, I actually, for 2018, have Deion Lewis in PPR, of course, as uh, scoring higher than Derrick Henry. Actually, he's a little higher even in standard. If we're talking dynasty, I would absolutely take Derrick Henry, and I would take him higher than many in the range that he's going. There's a lot of other running backs that I think have a lot more uncertainty 
the nice thing about Derrick Henry is, yeah, this I may have him projected at his floor, but this is his floor. This is a very high floor. I do not think he can do much worse than this. The question is, will he do better? That depends on the coaching and how they decide to use him. And it also decides on Deion Lewis's health. So Derrick Henry's upside, his ceiling is very high. It's possible he can completely take over this position should Deion Lewis be injured. He is capable. They will probably use or involve someone else in the passing game still, but not to the same extent as Deion Lewis. So that's it for the Titans. Uh, your buys are definitely Rashard Matthews. Deion Lewis, for what he may give you, is going a little late. And Taewon Taylor is a very, very late round deep sleeper. There's your Tennessee Titans. And we'll move on to the next team in the AFC South. All right, the Jacksonville Jaguars are the last team in our AFC South. And, uh, man, Blake Bortles, we all give him a really hard time, but the guy actually does produce. Um, I have him is – it's nice when you get these quarterbacks that have been in the league a few years. Um, I, I am one that believes that the quarterback's yardage and attempts belong to him. And that's a little bit up for debate. But it seems to me that the best quarterbacks demand passing attempts. If you have a good quarterback who can throw, you're going to let him throw. So when you have a Blake Bortles who's been in the league a few years, it's really easy to get a baseline for what he's capable of and what he'll likely do. So for Blake Bortles, I have... 562 attempts, uh, 332 completions for 3,800 yards, and 26 touchdowns, 14 interceptions. Interceptions are maybe a little high for that low touchdowns, but it's solid work, and he gets some rush attempts, 57 for 319. All that combined puts him solidly with 275 points. What does that put him? Well, that puts him right in at quarterback 14, right between Trubisky and Rivers. And uh, look, this whole from about Trubisky and Rivers and Bortles all the way down through till uh, Dak Prescott, it's it's one giant tier that's within like 20 points of each other, like 10, 10 players, 10 quarterbacks. That's how deep the position is this year. This is why everyone's telling you don't draft quarterbacks early wait wait and Blake Bortles is is kind of one of the perfect late round super late round quarterbacks there is because he's not he's not the sexy pick you know he's not gonna blow anybody out of the water so if you want the guy who can maybe win games for you maybe you should reach for somebody else but he seems to put up pretty consistent production the problem is his team doesn't seem to want to let him throw the ball. They want to just run it. Towards the end of the season last year, they started having to throw more. And we'll see how that goes this year, whether or not he earned more trust or not, or whether they push the reset button and they go right back to running it all the time with Leonard Fournette. As far as receivers go, there are a lot of options here. It's kind of hard to project. A lot of them are new. A lot of them are rookies, free agents, and the rest are second years second-year wide receivers. The only one, the incumbent wide receiver one, is Marquise Lee. 
who's just still there and uh, probably still going to get nearly 100 targets. I have him for 95. He's just going to get the work. 154 points. It's, it's like I said, there's not much about the Jacksonville receiving uh, quarterback passing and receiving game that's sexy. All right. If you want to talk about Leonard Fournette when you get to running backs, that's fine. But there's way too many wide receivers here for me to invest in all of them. So I'll just break it down really quickly. You have Keelan Cole, who had a really good stretch. I mean, really good stretch toward down the, the end of the season last year. Really showed some good chemistry with Bortles. He's an older, mature receiver. If I had to bet on a wide receiver two to emerge here, uh, it's Keelan Cole. But D.D. Westbrook, also second year, showed out very well last year too. He had some injuries at the beginning of the season. So when all of these, I don't think it's a coincidence. Like I said, Blake Bortles was throwing, passing more towards the end of the season. Well, what happened towards the end of the season? D.D. Westbrook came back. Uh, Marquise Lee had been battling some injuries in there. Keelan Cole seemed to come into his own some more. So it's possible that with these improved options, they'll pick it up where they left off. And then, of course, you have the free agent, Dante Moncrief, who has apparently all the talent in the world, but wasn't able to make it work with the Colts. Uh, Probably a red zone threat, but... It's hard to say. Uh, like I said, it's a whole lot of gray area here, and I'm not sure who or what to pick out. Uh, the tight end, Austin Safarian Jenkins, also a newly signed free agent. Uh, this is a bit of a bright spot. Um, we could easily see him matching the production you were seeing from Mercedes Lewis when he was a younger tight end. And that's pretty much what I expect from ASJ, 80 targets, 52 receptions, and a handful of touchdowns. And I believe he comes in uh, just outside or maybe just inside the top 10 for the tight ends. It's probably not going to be anything game-winning, but if you need a consistent option who has maybe a little upside, I I do like Austin Severian Jenkins. Next we have Leonard Fournette. Running backs, 290 attempts, nine touchdowns, not particularly efficient because, I mean, the defenses know it's coming. You also have TJ Yeldon, Corey Grant here. Corey Grant really uh, stepped up, and you're going to see him in those high-efficiency kind of plays, a bit of a, uh, I don't know, spark plug. I don't know what you want to call him, but he seems to always come up with the big plays. We'll see if that gets him more consistent work. But sometimes with more consistent work, the efficiency goes down. So we'll see how that goes. TJ Yeldon is a very interesting option here because he is very involved in the passing game. He quietly accumulated uh, something like 40, 50 passes last year, targets at least. And I expect him to repeat that again. And he breaks 108 PPR points. And should Leonard Fournette get injured, they they did seem to use T.J. Yeldon a lot more in his absence. Uh, Corey Grant could step up into more of that handcuff role, but he will not inherit nearly the uh, the share, the attempt share of the volume. 
So Yeldon is still going to be involved, plus he's already involved in the passing game, and that is a bonus, at least in PPR. Not a lot here, guys, that I would tell you to take a chance on or to chase. The super hup sides here are Dante Moncrief. And uh, I have Leonard Fournette a little bit low in his points and everything, but the arrows definitely go up on this guy. If he can stay healthy and he gets that volume, he can easily get up into the top 10. I believe I have him just outside it right now. There's just a lot of really good running backs. It's not an insult to Leonard Fournette. Um, it just means there's a lot of good backs ahead of him. So that's it for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And that concludes our AFC South. Again, if you missed the Colts, that would have been with the episode before this. And I went into more detail on that one. I took a little more time to go into how I do these sheets. So if uh, if you didn't catch that, again, I encourage you to. And uh, we'll be moving on to another division next. Uh, as always, if you have any questions on them, hit me up on Twitter at FusionFFB and email FusionFFB at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening. Catch you next time.